This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's the Hockey News Podcast, sort of. There might be an echo in here. We have no idea. Uh, we are in the middle of moving into a new Hockey News office. It's Matt Larkin here. I've got Ken Campbell. Bada bing, bada boom. Oops, There's sorry, the Coke can. There we go. There yeah, we go. Okay. Yeah. We got Ryan Kennedy, and we also have our new digital content producer, Stephen Ellis, who's in the room listening. I'm looking into his eyes right now. His arms are folded. He's auditing this podcast. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Uh, Stephen, uh, I think I'm supposed, you're supposed to pick up my dry cleaning at 3.30, okay? Hey, oh, Stephen okay. just gave Ken the finger, so he's already, he's, he's in veteran form already. Uh, anyways, I'm hoping this is the last time, everybody, that I have to apologize for the sound qualities. I feel, feel like I do it every week, and we're in a different place every week. We were at Ken's kitchen table last time, and right now we're in a room surrounded by boxes. I'm literally sitting on a Rubbermaid container, and so is Ken and Ryan sitting on a box of some sort. Yep. Yeah, so we're, we're just making do with what we've got. We're going old school, man. Old school. Um, But this might be the last time. In a perfect world, we physically have all the good new podcast equipment, so it's going to be assembled. Matt just doesn't know how to use it. Yeah, I'm just going to learn. Or or Steven. That's what Steven's for. Somebody's going to use it and make it work, and then we're going to sound awesome. But uh, maybe not this time. But don't worry about it, okay? To make it up. Content. Content. It's all about content. It's all about the content. Content is king, as they said in uh, SEO seminars from 2008. Uh We're going to do a special edition of the podcast this week. It's an all-mailbag edition. I'm pretty excited about it, especially because, and I haven't even told Ken and Ryan this, but we've been getting extra mailbag questions via email, and I always forget about them, and I just keep over and over forgetting about these poor people that that have good questions, so we're going to honor a couple of those. To start, the first one is from Aku Lindbergh, and uh, Aku... I have to make a confession. I'm a huge Survivor fan, diehard fan of the series. Never missed an episode in my life. Hope to be on the show someday, maybe even take Jeff Probst's job someday. Okay, so I love this question. Just a sec. You said you're a huge, you're a diehard Survivor fan? Yes, and not the band. I'm one of the few surviving diehard fans. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Although, I I mean, everyone loves diehard. Come on, come on. Uh, So the question from Aku is, the finished version of the TV show Survivor just started again and got me thinking, which three players would you pick to be as your tribe members and why? So as the Survivor fan, I'm going to take this question first. Of right course, okay. I really like my picks, okay? So pick okay, one, P.K. Subban. P.K. Subban is going to be on my tribe for morale. He's he's creative. He's always up to up, up something fun, so I'm never going to go crazy on the island because P.K. is always going to think of something fun to do. That's the reason why I pick him. Maybe the most important pick is Dustin Bufflin because his biggest hobby is fishing. He's an obsessive uh, fisherman, so we're always going to have food because Dustin Bufflin's going to go out and catch it. He's going to make some fishing rod. He's amazing at fishing. He and catches giant no, fish. And if there's no food, he'll just eat you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? Exactly. It'll be over quick. And the last pick is my sleeper pick, okay? Zach Hyman of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, he brings his hard hat to every game, so he's going to be hardworking, you know, collecting firewood and stuff, but that's not the main reason. 
If we get lonely at night, Zach Hyman is a children's author. He will tell us stories nice. by the fire to keep yeah, us sane and keep our hopes up. So that's my Survivor trio. It's true. Good. Who Am you guys next? got? My yeah. next? Okay. Yeah. Okay, my first is the uh, the late Ted Lindsay. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, he would be he would definitely be in my tribe because uh, a lot of people who are listening probably don't know this, but um, Ted Lindsay, pound for pound, might have been the toughest player in NHL history. Mm-hmm. Played the game at like five foot eight, 160 pounds, and could give and take it with the best of them in the original six era when men were men and uh, it was it was a tough league to play in. You're so, allowed to swing your sticks yeah, yeah. at each other's heads. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And he and he did it with the best of them. Uh, my second one would be David Backus for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, he's really smart. He's like an engineer, and he can fly a plane. So if we uh, if Ooh. if we need to vacate, he can probably build us a plane and get us out of there. And I don't watch Survivor, but I guess a big part of it is uh, these kind of backdoor negotiations that go on between yes. And to me, anybody, you know, if David Backus can negotiate a five-year, $30 million deal <laughs> at the stage of the career he was at, I want him on my side. And my third guy is Nolan Patrick of the Philadelphia Flyers uh, because I've done, I've done Ooh, a few yes. interviews with him, and if he weren't a hockey player, he said he would be a guide at a at a at a at a hunting camp in northern Manitoba. That's what he would do for a living. Um, he's uh, you know he's totally and completely at ease in the wild. Shot his first deer when he was twelve years old, and uh, you know I mean he he spears fish. He spears his own fish like he spears. It's like when he goes out fishing in the summer, he doesn't like sit in the boat and cast a rod out or go trolling he takes a spear with him and he spears the fish that's badass yeah so anyway so I think he'd be pretty good to have alright so uh, for mine I start off with Zdeno Chara uh, because obviously we're gonna we're, we're playing to win here and if you have one of the most dominant physical specimens sports has ever seen on your side mm-hmm. still kicking it at this stage in his career um I mean, that's just a no-brainer for me. Uh, that fight with Evander Kane, like, he was smiling. Did you see was, it? Yeah. He was smiling during that fight. He was enjoying that fight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was like, I'm going to do whatever I want to the guy that one-punched Steve Downey, which was the greatest moment in the history of hockey. Let's not forget <laughs> Steve Downey getting one-punched. All I remember was... Oh, sorry, Zidane Matt Cook. Cook. Matt Zidane Cook. Zidane Chair in the playoffs one year, or not not in the playoffs, but against Toronto one year, he took Brian McCabe, oh, who, yeah. was, who was a pretty big, strong guy himself. Yeah. And he just took him by the back of his sweater and just ragdolled him, like went back and forth with him. Yeah. 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 So, sorry, he one-punched Matt Cook. Okay. That's right. That was the greatest moment in the history of sports. Uh, So, Charles, my first. My second is Drew Doughty for a couple of reasons. One, also a gifted physical athlete. Um, So much so that the – I remember there's a story, I believe you did it, Matt, where the Kings said, like, Drew, we know you don't have to put in extra practice or extra time in the weight room. But can you do it so the young guys realize that they have to do it because they're not Drew Doughty? Uh, And, of course, he did it. But also because everybody loves Drew Doughty. He's just a fun dude to hang out with. He'll keep things light, much like your Subban thing. Uh, Now, my third one, originally, when I looked at the question, I thought it was, like, who would be the best on Survivor? And I thought Brad Marchand would be perfect. But then I realized it's for my team, and I don't know how, you know, like he might want to kick me off, and so I, I, don't, want, I don't want any part of that. So I'm going with Victor Hedman instead. Again, 
you get the physicality. Uh, both him and Chara, I mean, we don't even need ladders. We, we can put up a whole structure. You can structure, grab coconuts out of trees. Grab coconuts, mangoes, whatever uh, <laughs> high-hanging fruit there might be. Uh, but also Victor Hedman, like most Swedes, uh, has lived on his own since he was like 15 years old. That's good, yeah. So he know, we know he knows how to And cut. he flies planes too. There Does you go. Yes. And he's such a nice guy that if you said, uh, Victor, you got to leave, he'd go, okay. <laughs> and, he, and, he'd just yeah. go, and he'd just go. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, I don't foresee us losing any of the challenges. So we, okay. would, we would get all the riches. And uh, we would also win at basketball. Good, good, <laughs> good answers. Uh, Ken, extra point for making it topical with Ted Lindsay, who passed mm. uh, the morning that we recorded. Sadly, this 93, podcast. Years, 93 years old. That's right. Yep. And also, minus one points to me, the, the supposed survivor fan. I think I misunderstood the question. How ironic is that? <laughs> I just was thinking of like Desert Island survival, and I, was, I forgot about strategy. What yeah. kind of survivor fan yeah. am I? It's I pathetic. Don't I don't even watch the stupid show. Yeah. I'm a loser. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, we're going to move on to the next question, and uh, this is going to be a nice little pet to Ken's ego. Uh, Hans from Holland says, Ken, I love what you're doing. Much appreciated. Hope to enjoy you a long time. That part of it I didn't <laughs> me get. Love, me I have to see no yeah, something I don't, I don't. And this one's for you. Sincerely, like, sincerely Ken's wife. Uh, <laughs> you often defend the new NHL and are totally opposed to the goons of yesteryear. Right. How do you feel about people who say that it's killing the game? Are they dinosaurs who must be ignored? Uh, you know what, Hans? Uh, thank you for the question and thank you for the support. I appreciate it. I'm kind of I'm kind of feeling a bit scared about the "I hope to enjoy you for a long time" part because I'm not sure if he knows something I don't. But <laughs> but I no, I don't think they're dinosaurs who should be ignored. I think the people who want to see fighting staying in the game and a lot of physical. I love physicality. Like, don't get me wrong. I love a big hit more than anybody else. I just don't like stupid hits. But I, I think the people who who are on the other side of this argument, you know, they're, they're good-meaning people. They're smart people. You know, they've been around the game for a long time. I would never sit there and say to someone like Brian Burke, you know, your opinion means nothing. Because it does. It, it's, it's all part of the debate. It does mean and something. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it absolutely means something. And it's all part of the debate. And, and you know, there's going to be give and take here. And, and I, I, I really appreciate the other side. I don't agree with the other side. But I appreciate their points. And I can see where they're coming from. They want what's best for the game, too. Everybody who's talking about this stuff, like, down... Deep down, they want what's best for the game, and they truly believe that this is what's best for the game. So, like, I'm free to disagree with them, and I always will, but I certainly appreciate their opinions. And I think something that is pretty clear at this point is that, you know, staged fights are basically gone from the NHL. And, you know, for people who uh, are pro-fighting... And, you know, I, I consider myself in that, but I'm not militants about it. Um, you know, even people that are pro-fighting, the argument is it helps police the game. You don't get as much dirty stuff and stick work. And stage fighting doesn't really have anything to do with that. Right. When you have organic <laughs> fights, like, right. you know, we were talking before the podcast about Zidane Chara and Evander Kane the other night, which was quite one-sided. Not for Evander Kane this yeah, time. Yeah. It was not like fighting Mad Cook. Uh, but that came out of... Chara, you know, laying a high hit on Kane that he objected to, and he actually answered the bell himself because Evander Kane loves to fight when right. it's appropriate. I think that's where we're at right now is you don't see as much fighting, and when you do, it tends to be very directional versus just 
I'm the goon, you're the goon. We got to go because yeah, yeah. otherwise we're just yeah. Because usually, bench. usually you're not finding a dance partner because yeah. the other team doesn't have one half the time. Yeah. But what what I want to know and what I want to see is I keep hearing people saying that the you know the game's dirtier and there's more stick work and everything. I, I, I want to see the proof of that. Yeah, I, I, think <laughs> I, that's I want to see the proof of that. That's anecdotal. I want to mm-hmm. see you know. Uh, I mean, I. <laughs> There's been some nasty, like I've been watching hockey since the 70s, and there's been some nasty, nasty stick work, every bit as dirty and awful as you see right now. And right now, you know, when Adam Lowry swings a stick back like that, everybody sees it two seconds after it happens, right? Mm -hmm. There was stuff that went on, like they didn't even use the televised games. There was stuff that went on in the 70s that was, that would... That would make yeah, and before that, guys getting their skulls yeah, fractured, exactly. yeah. sticks to the face, yeah. and yeah, 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 for sheer. And it's funny, I, I, I'm typically characterized as, as closer to anti-fighting, and sometimes people will say, "Oh, why don't you just take the punching out of boxing?" But I always say, "Well, the goal of boxing is to punch. Right. The goal of hockey is to <laughs> right. score." Right. So, right. so I, I don't, I never like that analogy, but but it's funny. I do have a, a kind of a funny uh, Evander Kane story. Um, because I went and, and met with him last year. And so I, I did ask him, I said, I know it's an obvious question, but I want to confirm, you know, the name of Vander. Is, it, is he named after Vander Holyfield? He says, yes, I am. And he did train boxing. His dad was a huge boxing fan. Yeah. But he didn't know. Like, I, I went and did the research of, on HockeyFights.com, and he hadn't lost a fight in, like, five years. And I told him. He was wow. like, really? I haven't lost a fight in five years? That's cool, man. Wow. Yeah, so there you go. Which, I, again, it sounds like I'm glorifying it now, but... Um, if I had my choice, I, I still prefer that it doesn't happen, but uh, it's still, as long as it's part of the game, I, I still think it's fair for us to cover it when it does Absolutely. happen. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're still fighting, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> next question is from Michael Molyneux. And Michael, to me, this is a pretty slam dunk answer, I think, for all of us. But Completely. We might, so this might be a quick one, but um, do you think Jerome McGinley will be inducted into the Hall of Fame? Why or why not? I, I think he's a slam dunk, easy peasy first ballot. Yeah. He's got a rocket, two rocket Richards, or one and a half rocket Richards. He's got a Pearson, which is most outstanding. In some ways, you could argue it's more valuable than a Hart, because voted by the players. Yep. Uh, he came within one goal of the Stanley Cup. He's got Olympic gold, multiple Olympic golds. And he would have, and he would have actually won the Hart Trophy the year uh, Jose Theodore won it. Yeah. Because the, the, the person, one of the guys who voted for Jose, Jose Theodore first, which is fine, didn't even have a Ginla on his ballot. So even if he had gotten a, and it was, it was yeah, like, it was I think the closest close. voting in history. Yeah. And even if he had had him second or third, which, come on, like, he yeah. should have. Yeah, um, 52 goals. He, he would have won. He would have won. I, I mean, he's also got two gold medals. Two Olympic gold medals. He doesn't have the Stanley Cup, but yeah, this this is a slam dunk. I mean, he's got thirteen hundred points, six hundred twenty-five goals. But more, not more importantly, but just as importantly, part of the Hall of Fame, I think, is about bringing distinction and integrity to the game. Mm. And I, I'm not sure that you could find five players in history that have brought more distinction and integrity to the game than Jerome McGinley did. Yeah, like that guy never had a bad day in his life. Right. Never treated anybody. Off the ice badly. Right. <laughs> Treat a lot of people on the ice yeah, badly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, complete slam dunk in my yeah. opinion. And I think just a simple question you know, you have to ask about Hall of Famers was, were they one of the best players of their era? And with the Gimbal, it's like, yep. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, when it comes to that sort of yeah. dead puck era and sort of post-dead puck era, it's like, yeah, he was one of the best. There was a time when he was right up there and in goals among active players. Oh, yeah. Like, at, yeah. The, at the height of his career. Yeah. And you know what's kind of interesting to me? Because they interviewed him, obviously, Saturday night. And, you know, a lot of players, once they stop playing, uh, you know, they, they can put on a bit of weight because they're not in that hockey track uh, anymore. Again, they look skinnier 
than when he was a player. Like, he actually looks like he's, like, in better shape uh, than he was when he was playing. Like yeah, Michael yeah. Strahan, same thing in football. Yeah, I yeah, guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, to me, I always... This is the same reason why I'm not a huge fan of the idea of, like, a Patrick Marlowe type or even a Daniel Alfredson in the Hall of Fame. Um, it's, were you one of the best... Were you a top five player at your position mm. for a period of five years or more? That's my, like, right. unofficial right. rule. Right. Which is why I loved Lindros and Burra getting in the Hall of Fame. Yep. Uh, and, and again, absolutely. He was, like, the preeminent yep. right-winger in hockey. Before, right before Ovi came in, I know Ovi was mainly a left-winger as well, but if we're talking just pure shooters and goal scorers, yeah. like, before Ovi, and Kovalchuk was rising up too, but he was young, but the, it was in those early, like, early 2000s, it was again those world. He was, yep. he was the guy. He was the premier your power forward in the NHL and I think that you can make a case that was the that was true for several years and, and yeah. there's guys that are great and there's guys that are great and scary mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. he's he's scary right. Dr- Jerome McGinley is scary oh, yeah. like like Alex Imagine scares you because he can pre- create so much offense and all that sort of stuff and but but Jerome McGinley is scary because okay you want to get into a you want to get into get into a, a skill game and play you know score against one another yeah I can do that yeah. you want to get down and dirty sure yeah yeah, sure, you yeah. Want to punch each other yeah yeah, yeah. I'm down. you want to, you want to get you, you want to play this game down in the alley yeah I'll go down there with you no problem yeah. you know yeah and dominate true. you <laughs> yeah so true so yeah. so it's pretty unanimous as I expected uh, so we'll, we'll move on to the next one it's from Jeff Putnam and Jeff says which team in the West do you think will be the sneaky dark horse in the playoffs and it's funny my answer i would have felt really confident about it a week ago now i'm a little bit nervous about it uh st louis right <laughs> yeah uh, i yeah. still think yeah. like to me they're a team uh, what I, I i define a dark horse as uh, a team that when you're a high seed you're, you roll your eyes you're like oh come on this is my reward for finishing high, I got to play these guys, mm-hmm. and I feel like whoever draws St. Louis is going to have that eye roll. Yeah, so like if yeah, Winnipeg, yeah. If Winnipeg yeah. has to get St. Louis, like a team with Jordan Bennington playing the way he has, that could steal a series. They, they still have Pietrangelo, Pareko. They can play in the alley. Tarasenko has really found his game. I mean, they're they're deep on paper. We like them to start the season, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Winnipeg, or or if St. Louis stays in the three spot and Nashville has to play them, somebody's going to draw St. Louis and be annoyed by it because they're not going to be an easy <laughs> yeah, out. So yeah. that's my pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna go along the same vein, and I mean they've got to get in first, but uh, Minnesota for me. Mm-hmm. Um, they I think they're I, they lost in overtime and they had won five in a row before that, um, and I, I think it's just a team that, you know, every year they under Bruce Boudreau they seem to get a hundred points and then they do nothing in the playoffs. Well, this year maybe it's a little different. Maybe they're gonna squeak in and and then make some noise. Um, I, I think the pressure's off them. They made those trades. They're just kind of playing, you know, loose and, and, and uh, you know, obviously playing pretty well, at least up to their potential. They, they should be. They should have been a playoff team all the time. Uh, they should be better than they are. And I, I just think that they're a team that, you know, maybe they're lurking in the weeds a little bit. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah I, I think St. Louis is a pretty good one. I'll, I'll say Dallas as well. I'll throw it Dallas just because... All central teams. All central teams, yeah. Well, because the Pacific is a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you, you just look at the high-end elements they have. And again, you know, much like Minnesota, it's like they're still on the cusp. They may or may not get in. But, you know, Ben Bishop and Nett, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Ben. You know, I, I like some of their their littler deadline moves. You know, getting a guy like Ben Lovejoy. Um, you know, and then Matt Zuccarello will be back by then, and I'm sure he'll be champing at the bit uh, to contribute uh, since breaking his hand uh, in that first game there. 
But I, I would be wary of Dallas because, you know, they, I, I feel they could jump on top of a team, and they, they, I don't think they can make a long run, but I think they could at least surprise in the first round. Fair. And, and double points for Ryan for saying champing at the bit and not chomping. Chomping, champing, sure. that's and, right. And yeah. you said he said wary and not weary, so double points to Ryan. I don't know why I'm, I'm deciding to hand out points this podcast, but it's just a thing. I've decided <laughs> it's a thing. Okay. And you know what? We're You're talking, losing right now. You're I'm losing. losing. I'm losing. Uh, <laughs> Minnesota's a weird one because I've been bearish on them for... Uh, a while, but maybe karma is going to reward them for finally understanding who they are, which is a team that's stuck in the middle. They right. made the playoffs six years in a row, never been out of round two, out in round one four of those times. So by ironically by by accepting that and yeah. not yeah, worrying yeah. about the playoffs and you know yeah. trading for Ryan Donato, they could end up in the playoffs yeah. and better. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Next question from Austin Gagne. Austin says, which players based on this season are primed for a breakout next year, 2019-20? And he throws in, love the podcast. Thank you, Austin. Thanks, Austin. Appreciate it, bro. So, Kenny, uh, you start this one. Okay, I'm going to stay with Minnesota, and I'm going to go with Jordan Greenway. Mm. Uh, six foot six, two twenty-seven. He's got eleven goals this year, and that's you know not he's not lighting the world on fire, but he's only getting about thirteen minutes of ice time. Uh, the thing I worry about Jordan Greenway is does he get around the ice quickly enough, mm. and and is that going to hurt him? But here's a guy who I think really. You know, once he gets a little more comfortable in the league, once the coach starts to trust him a little more and moves him up the lineup, gives him a little more ice time, you know, I, I mean, I could see a guy that's a, you know, a 25 to 30 goal scorer in this league. I don't know if it's going to happen next year. Maybe in two years his breakout will be, but I would be looking for a guy like that with his size and his ability and, you know, his, his the potential he can have to impact the game to be a guy that, that, will really, you know, sort of leap to mind in the mm. next little while. One of my favorite World Junior quotes was uh, from Team USA coach Bob Motzko. When I asked him about Jordan Greenway, what he meant to that team that ended up winning the gold medal right. in Montreal, he said, he's Big Papa Bear. He, <laughs> he makes everybody else feel safe out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought that was really great. And yeah. he's a super nice kid off the ice, so yeah, that's good, good too. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm looking at Henrik Borgstrom from Florida. They call him the artist, and uh, I, I think he's he's primed to to make that jump. Um, you know, he's dominated in the AHL this year. He's done pretty decent in the NHL when he's been up with the Panthers. Yeah, he's done okay. Yeah, and I think that you know this Florida team is one where I'm. I know we've been saying this for a couple of years now, but like they're primed to make another step. Next year, I say prime. I'm not yeah. saying they're they've just, got, yeah, they've yeah. got and, those and, kids, but they're at the point now, Ryan, where it's like, no, they're not because they haven't done it. <laughs> right, right. And I'm not going to believe it until it happens. Yeah. And I can't even figure out why they're so shitty. Yeah, I can't even figure it out. Yeah, I don't know either. But <laughs> uh, with a healthy Vince Trocheck and you know Barkov continuing to be Barkov, I think Borgstrom has a nice place to fit in mm-hmm. uh, in that lineup. Where you know, obviously, he doesn't have to do everything. He can. He can use those great offensive skills he has to create and produce, and uh, I, I think he's on the right track. Fair. And Florida, I mean, on paper, they've got some kids coming at yeah. forward. Owen Tippin, Lexi Heponyemi, and Gregory Denisenko, and Borsham, but he's ready. Like, they're stacked on paper, but there's always that team. It's funny, there was a, a, 
the source is anonymous, but for a story I was working on, an executive from a team was saying that sometimes you get these teams that on paper they, they always look good, but they get into this trap where they have too many young players coming up at the same time, mm. peaking at the same time, and pushing out so many older players that there's not enough right. leadership. So the guy put yeah. he said he said they suck and they keep sucking, and the older guys, the only guys they can bring in, they can afford to fit in. Those guys suck. The older <laughs> guys suck, and it becomes like a disease, and then you start going through coaches. It was good, well, a fair uh, analysis. I mean, other than Roberto Luongo. You know who's there to show the way? You know yeah, Troy no. Brower. Yeah, 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 I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think there is something to that. You yeah. need mm-hmm. guys around that can show these guys how to how to be good Bro, young yeah, players. Bros. But to me, Florida is where is where Washington was in the past for me. Not by the same level of expectation, but I was gonna. I kept believing Washington was never gonna win the cup. Yeah. Until and until they won it, I was gonna refuse to believe that they would ever win. And now they've done it. So may, maybe Florida will at some point yeah, too. Maybe they'll. Yeah. Maybe they'll actually. You know. Maybe I don't know. Playoffs. Maybe like make the playoffs. Like yeah. maybe finish. <laughs> start maybe, there. Maybe like finish third in their division one of these days. Like something crazy like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe draw more than eighteen people to their games. Oh, did I say that? Burn. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna just basically play a clip of myself talking a year ago from my breakout pick, which is Jack Rosselvick. I'm picking him for the same reason, essentially, because last year the Jets they had Paul Stasny leaving as probably leaving as UFA, who was a rental. It was gonna open up competition for the second line center job. Rosselvick, extremely fast, a great young kid, smart kid, great prospect, and top six forward ability. And this year you've got Kevin Hayes, who I don't think the Jets will be able to keep because they've got Kyle Connor, Patrick Line, and Jacob Truba to re-sign as RFA. So it's gonna be a very complicated summer yet again for Kevin Sheveldey off. Truba will be easy because he's a, he's got arbitration though. Right. But yeah. Yeah. So but again, just those other three yeah. alone is gonna yeah, make yeah. a major. Yep, yep. I can't see how Hayes would fit in financially to that team. So again, it's either going to be Brian Little getting his number two job back or somebody else ascending. And I know Jack Rosselvick has played a lot of wing this year, but the long-term goal ideally is still for him to be a number two center. And I think he has the ability. He's shown it in flashes. The consistency's not there yet, but I think it will be. And next year, I think, is the year we see Jack Rosselvick become a 25-goal, 50-point center in the NHL. That's my pick. That's a good one. And and I, I just followed the Winnipeg Jets around for an issue recently and um and uh, Paul Maurice could not say enough good things about Jack Roslovic. In fact he, he replaced uh Patrick Line with Roslovic at the on the first power play unit. That was quite the cause celeb. Mm-hmm. And and I, I would have liked to have seen Roslovic maybe do a little more with that opportunity, uh, but he didn't. And another guy that actually just came to mind for me is Brendan Lemieux. Um, and now he's a guy that will have the opportunity because he's really started to come on this year. True. And uh, and he'll be on a team where somebody's got to get the points, right? Somebody mm-hmm. they, They've got to fill those spots with, with some guys, so maybe he's a guy. But Roslevic's a good one too. That's right because the Rangers, they're not going to be populating their team with too many more veterans, and that's a story that uh, I've done for upcoming mm-hmm. issue of Future Watch, I, I talked to Jeff Gordon, and I talked to their head scout, Gordy Clark, and a lot of people around the organization just about how they've finally committed to the rebuild. And even the conversation they had when they made that letter, when they sort of looked around the room, Jeff Gordon and Glenn Sather and the owner, James Dolan, and they said, are we good enough? And the company, they kind of looked and said, no, <laughs> we know it. We know in our hearts that we're stuck in the middle. So that's why they've sort of made this commitment. And it, I think the biggest sign of maturity is in the off season. And I said, you know, you guys always felt the pressure of being that team that always spends money. And the year before, it was Kevin Shattenkirk. This offseason, 2018 offseason, they didn't spend the big money mm-hmm. because they're keeping the spots open 
for the kids, yeah, yeah. which means a guy like yeah. Brendan Lemieux is going to get a shot. And then, yeah, of course, yeah. guys like Vitaly Kravtsov and mm-hmm. Lee Sanderson Lee and Phil yeah. yeah. I can never say it Hiedel. right. Hiedel. 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 That was the closest I've come so far. <laughs> uh, next question is from just Rob. I like to call hey, Rob. I'm Rob. Uh, Madonna, <laughs> Maradona, and Rob. <laughs> Rob says, Chuck Fletcher was brought in to usher more urgent change in Philadelphia, but so far has only made minor moves. What do the Flyers do this upcoming offseason? And first of all, I think the minor moves is a good sign because it's yeah. it shows a commitment to doing things right and not panicking. Yeah. The Flyers aren't going to make the playoffs, so there's no reason to get crazy for the deadline, but uh, I'll let you guys have the floor first on this one. Well, first of all, hire Joel Coinville. <laughs> I've been saying it for I've been saying it all along. Um, big market yeah, coach. That, that'll work. Um, I, I I'm wondering if they're not at the stage. I mean they they I mean not to give away uh, any trade secrets here, but they're going to be very highly ranked in our co- upcoming future watch edition. And I'm wondering if they're not at the stage where you know where maybe Vegas has been. You know I mean you see what George McPhee did had three first round picks in 2017. Only one of them is still there in Cody Glass. He's traded Brandstrom, and he's, and he's traded Nick Suzuki, and he's turned that into Max Pacioretty and um, Mark Stone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if that's not where the Flyers need to go. they got a ton of cap space. So do they, you know, do they deal one of these young guys like uh, like Meyer, uh, Jean-Philippe Myers? Philippe Myers or, or Farabee or, you know, a guy like that to get – I'm thinking of a guy like – I think Jacob, Jacob Trouba is going to be gone. In Winnipeg, you talked about him just now. I think he's gone. Uh, I think th- I think the 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 he. I think ultimately he doesn't want to play in Winnipeg anymore, and he he's pretty much made up his mind that that's going to be the case. Uh, he's got one year left. He's got he's coming up to uh, the end of his restricted deal, and he they can take him to arbitration, and he, he'll get one more year. So they'll have him under contract for one more year. But I think now is the time to deal him and at the draft. So I wonder if it wouldn't be a good idea to maybe give up some of that youth to get a guy like that or to sign a big-name free agent in the offseason, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they've got a ton of cap space. How close is Philly to a major body of water? Uh, very close. Very close. Very close. Artemi Panarin, baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, for my thinking, I look at maybe a Jimmy Howard in the summer. Uh, you know, Carter Hart has obviously, you know, Come in, shown what all the hype was about, and but you don't want to put too much pressure on him right now because he is still super young for a goaltender, even though he has that pedigree. I would like them to to bring in a guy like a Jimmy Howard who can can do enough starts, can be that one B guy for you, but he's not like a long term existential threat for Carter Hart. It's sort of like I am here to mentor you. Um, I will get paid nicely for doing so, and I will still get, you know, 35, 40 games in this first season. Um, Because otherwise, I see a lot of good internal growth with this team. I mean, they've got the veterans and the scoring with Claude Giroux, um, you know, Sean Couturier, Jakub Voracek. They've got young guys, some of whom are already there, Nolan Patrick, Travis Konechny on the back end, you got Shane Gosses Bayer, and you have Ivan Provorov. And, you know, I mean, both of them can still get better, and I think they have to be better for Philly to take that next step, but at least you've got them, and you know they have that potential. So I, I don't think they're too far off being something very viable. Um, 
but it's just those little tweaks that they need to kind of safeguard. And I think, you know, having a veteran 1B goaltender, where, whether it's Howard, where, whether it's somebody like Simeon Varlamov, um, you know, there's going to be a couple of guys on the open market potentially this summer. Uh, I think that's kind of the, the big need. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, you need a guy. You need a guy who's not a question mark. Mm-hmm. Like you need a guy who you know can come in and can spell off Carter Hart. Yeah. In case you know, in case Justin Carter Hart falters or whatever, right? You need someone yeah. who can play that sort of dual role of being the guy who ushers him along and sort of helps him out. But can also step in and play ten games in a row yeah. if he has to, right. and, and win six, seven of them. Yeah. You know, for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's that's fair. And uh, I look at a team like uh, Dallas, and I think a problem that Dallas has run into in recent years is having so many good young defensemen. But the veteran support they had wasn't high end enough to right. really to really help mentor and boost those kids. And I think Philly has the same problem, where your elder statesman is Andrew McDonald. But all due respect to Andrew McDonald, he ain't winning no Norrises anytime soon. Right. Uh, so I would like to see, and whether it's a Truba or, or someone else, but Philly bring in another veteran presence who's more in his prime or close to his prime and is still pretty effective. Yeah. Only problem being it's such a weak free agent class for defensemen. Like your best option, I mean, unless you go for Eric Carlson. That, that, which, well, hey, that's, what was, so, that's what I mean. You never know. But I had that written down here. Do they, do they yeah, make a, do they make a do. pitch for Eric Carlson? Yeah. Do they use the five days to before the free agency period to just uh, – you know, woo him into uh, signing with them. Maybe. You know? I think yeah, because other than that, there's a huge drop-off. It goes from Eric Carlson to maybe Jake Gardner, but yeah. I don't think Philly needs as much help on the left side. And then the other types would have been like a Nicholas Jensen, but now he's being yeah. signed by the Capitals, right? Yeah. So it may have to be the trade route unless you take an aggressive run at Carlson, which would be interesting, right? Uh, next question is from Thomas Saunders. Thomas says, in a recent player survey by The Athletic, Alexander Barkov was voted by his peers as the most underrated player in the league. Couldn't agree more. He's awesome. Uh, Who are some other players in the NHL who perhaps deserve a little more spotlight? And I'm going to go with the guy right below Barkov on the depth chart, Vincent Trocek. And I think it's because... So this is almost the case that Barkov isn't under isn't that underrated because it's Trocek is overshadowed by Barkov. Right. Uh, and I think Trocek does a lot of the same things well. He's got tremendous natural offensive talent, but he's good at both ends of the ice. He kills penalties. He can play big minutes. He can even play pretty physically for a guy who's not a giant out there by any stretch of the... Or by any, uh, stretch expression. of the imagination. Stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Thank you very yeah, much. He's great on face-offs. I get another point for that, right? Yeah, another yeah. point yeah. to Ken. Yeah. Uh, great face-off guy. I just think Trocek does so many little things well on top of being a legitimate 70-point caliber second-line center. And I don't think anybody talks about Vincent Trocek, partially because he's been hurt, of course, but such a good player in my opinion and not appreciated as much as he should be. Yeah, I'm. I'm with this whole underrated thing. I'm starting to, you know, I, I don't think Alexander Barkov Barkov is underrated anymore. I think I think he's one of those guys that everybody talks about him being so underrated that he's on the verge of being overrated because he's everybody talks about how underrated he is. Like Mark Stone, he's yeah. rated now. And and he's now, rated. yeah, but, and so live up to the rating. Be healthy. Get in the playoffs. <laughs> you know, do one of those things, and then then maybe let's talk. But anyways. I don't think he's underrated anymore. My guy for being underrated is Cam Atkinson. And I'll tell you why. Um, he scores big goals. To me, game-winning goals means nothing. The game-winning goal stats means nothing in the NHL. To me, it's more important the goal that puts the team ahead in the game in the game to stay is should be the game-winning goal. Guess who has the most of those in the NHL? 
Cam Atkinson. Oh, <laughs> Cam Atkinson and Nikita Kucherov with ten each. Wow. And and um, in terms of goals that have put his team ahead in the game, Cam Atkinson has fifteen. And Alexander Ovechkin is the only guy who has more at 17. Wow. So to me, and nobody ever talks about this guy, but like all he does is get like point goals and big goals. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's a good one. Um, for me, I look at Jason Zucker uh, mm-hmm. with Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about a guy who's tailor-made for today's game. He's got the fantastic wheels, and he uses those wheels – at both ends of the ice. And I think that's what I like about Zucker is that he's always involved in the play. And, you know, if, I mean, Minnesota, even though it's a big cradle of hockey, like, it's kind of an anonymous NHL market in a lot of ways. And for that reason, I think Zucker probably doesn't get as much publicity as he would if he played in New York or if he played in, you know, Boston or whatever. But, I mean... He can score your goals. He can do a lot of different things out there. And I, I think he's just a very valuable guy. I, I always think of, like, you know what's – you always think of what's wrong with the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. And not they, don't, they don't – yeah, not enough guys like Jason Zucker. Like, who's right. fast, who can score. Yeah, yeah, and Zucker and, plays, like, his regular line when he was with Koivu and Granlin. They were out against the other team's yeah. best line yeah. every yeah. night. Yeah, like, I always think of him as, like, if the Edmonton Oilers could get him, maybe they would start being on the right track. A guy, mm-hmm. him or a guy like him. Right. Yeah, or you Cam know? Atkinson. Yeah. yeah, or him too, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. 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 Good points. Uh, next question is from just, <laughs> this person's known as Gliz. Who knows right. what Gliz means? It sounds a little gross, if I'm being honest. Uh, Gliz <laughs> says, do the Islanders... It's G-Liz. It's G-Liz. 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 Right. <laughs> do the Islanders stay in first place in the Metro... Uh, come season's ends. Well, it wouldn't be stay because they're out of first now, but right. I, I understand the point. Uh, seems they have both unsustainably high shooting and save, percentage, save percentages, coupled with the old chip on their shoulder, but I feel most would see them as an, uh, an underdog in any first-round matchup. Tough question. Um, and and, I know and good sh- points made. Yeah, good, very good points. Yeah. The thing yeah. about the shooting percentages, and I said this about the Islanders near the beginning of the season, is you know we're three-quarters of the way through. So the things like PDO, if you're this far along, they're not necessarily going to correct themselves this year. Like, it might just be one of those years where, kind of like um, the Colorado Avalanche in 2013-14 or the Ottawa Senators in 2017, there's going to be a team that outplays its peripherals. Every season there's one of these teams. Mm. Maybe it's the Islanders. Uh, but the best way to mask bad peripherals has always been good goaltending. And that's mm. one where, I, I don't know, I have faith in the goaltending because of the, the mastermind behind it, and it's Mitch Korn. And yeah. wherever Mitch Korn mm-hmm. goes, it just seems to have an impact on yep. his goalies. And he's yep. the person behind Dominic yep. Hasek and Pekka Rene and Braden Holtby. And, and again, Pekka Rene, it's not like Pekka Rene was a first-round pick expected to be a phenom. Pekka Rene was a seventh-round pick, if I remember correctly. Eighth-round. Eighth-round pick. Yeah. The round no longer, no longer that, yeah, exists. Yeah, he was picking yeah. a round that no longer so, exists. Yeah, he's yeah. Right. so late, you're not even allowed to pick that late right. anymore. Whereas Robin Leonard was a very high-end prospect. He mm. was supposed to be a phenom, right, coming up with Ottawa. So yeah. that's some good clay to mold. Um, so I'm a believer, and the fact that you're seeing it from Grice and Lehner, I think, is it's even more of a testament to the work that the coaching staff has done. The fact that it's impacted both goaltenders so much. So I'm a believer that between the two, they're going to get enough goaltending to keep masking any problems with the metrics. Yeah, and it's funny. I was thinking the same thing. I was actually writing a piece about the Islanders on the website last week that as good as Robin Lehner has been, Thomas Grice's stats are almost exactly the same, right down to the fact they both have four shutouts. And I, I think it's just 
Barry Trotz working that structural magic oh, big time. for that team big time. where I think that's what makes them dangerous, at least in the first round of the playoffs, is that they've got their house in order. Like, they know their marching orders. They've all bought in to what Trotz is uh, selling. And they might not have the highest-end talents in the world, although Matt Barzell, I think, would qualify. Um but they just they play as a team, and that can that can take you places. Yeah, I mean the question is, are they going to either be or stay in first place? Probably not. Um, I don't. They haven't been very good lately. No, they haven't been very good at all lately. Like the the, the you know the dominating win over Toronto last week, notwithstanding, they've been really uneven. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of their big guns have been pretty silent lately. You know, Anders Lee, Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey, Matt Barzell. Those guys haven't been putting, you know, I mean, Casey Zizekas is the guy doing all the scoring for them lately. The guy's got 17 or 18 goals. It's wild. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I see a team that's sort of trending the wrong way right now. So I'm, I, I don't think they're going to be in first place. I, I completely agree with G. Liz's um, assessment that they are they are going to be an underdog no matter what series they go into mm. like i i kept thinking you know like if you're montreal okay uh if if the islanders were to win the uh, metropolitan division so if you're montreal what would you rather do would you rather bust your ass to get into third place and play either toronto or boston or would you rather be in the s- s- first wild card spot and play the islanders I don't think there's anybody in hockey that would that would say I'd rather play Toronto mm-hmm. or Boston in yeah, the first yeah, round yeah. than the Islanders. For yeah. sure, I think you're gonna you're gonna want to play the Islanders and take your chances with them. I think the Islanders' status to me is gonna depend a lot on that draw, right? So if you do win the Metro and you get to play a Montreal, then hey, Islanders are probably gonna be favored in that series. But if you draw Pittsburgh. Right? Let's say Pittsburgh drops down to the seventh spot and the Islanders win the Metro, then Islanders aren't going to be favored in that series. Right. Uh, I think the best case scenario could end up being the Islanders dropping into the two spot and playing like Columbus, a team that Carolina. Is, is really hard yeah. to figure out. Yeah, Carolina with their goaltending, yeah, yeah. you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. So I think there are certain scenarios in which the Islanders could be the favorite, but mm-hmm. it, they're not going to be a favorite if they, or I mean, if they draw Tampa Bay, of course. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh, what, a, what a bold statement. Another, minor, <laughs> another negative point to me. Man, I suck. What a loser. Matt wins the green jacket. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as an aside, uh, just talking about Mitch Korn, if anybody's listening and is involved in hockey journalism in any way, just find any excuse to interview Mitch Korn. The guy is an absolute maniac in the best possible way. He's just crazy. He'll say anything. Like yeah. I've talked to him before where he kept me on the phone because he was driving to Cincinnati and he wanted company. He's like, let's just keep going. Like he's a, And, and he, he has a theory that like all goals should be allowed and you should be allowed to kick pucks into the net. That's even, a good one. Like, that's he's, a good just, one yeah. he's awesome. Yeah. Just awesome. You should be able to high stick him in the neck, too. Yeah, that, that's what he said. Why he's not? like, why not? Why not? If nobody's getting hurt. Hey, run off your stick. Yeah. Run off your stick. Yeah. He's, uh, Says yeah. the guy who has a full mask on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to finish it off with a Ryan Kennedy-specific question from yep. Adam Flex. It's a beauty. It's good. Which of the Detroit Red Wings picks in the 2018 draft was the bigger steal? Joe Valeno or which McIsaac? Jared McIsaac? Yeah, Jared McIsaac. Now, I'm going to say Valeno because uh, they got him late in the first round. He easily could have gone higher. You know, a lot of his season last year, he was putting a lot of pressure on himself uh, in St. John. Then he got traded to Drummondville, and he has been one of the best players in the whole league this year, going with Drummondville the whole time. Um, I, I just think that with his speed game, the pace he plays... 
Um, you know, he's developing into a great 200-foot player. I think he's going to be crucial to Canada's World Junior Team next year. And the fact that they got him with a late first-rounder versus getting him with, you know, like a top-10 pick, that that's great. McIsaac, I think we, we had him as an early second-rounder in Future Watch. So he was kind of properly rated where they got him. Uh, and ironically, I think he'll be, sorry, not ironically, coincidentally. 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 Yeah. Uh, I think he'll be very important to Canada's World Junior Team next year as well because he'll be one of the few returning players from that squad this year. So he'll bring that experience and that great two-way game. Uh, but I, I feel like Detroit got him where they should have, whereas with Valeno, he probably should have gone higher just based on his pedigree. All right. Well, thank you, Ryan, and thank you for listening. Thanks for all the questions, everybody, and hopefully I'll start remembering to look at the email questions as well going forward, and hopefully we'll have some amazing new sound quality next podcast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say we're going to do it, so now you have to hold me to it, universe. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>